The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it. No matter what happens the next 18 games for the Royals, in my book, they have now officially won the infamous James Shields trade. What's up? It's Davo on a very happy edition of Clubhouse Conversation as Casey shuts out Detroit on just two hits and one walk. Three base runners in total, 3 nothing KC. And I say that the Royals have officially won this trade, admitting that the Royals are far from clinching a playoff spot at this point. But, I mean, you just look at what James Shields, first of all, has done since arriving with this team. Last year, studying that rotation and pitching like we expected and then some last year. Got off to a bit of a rough start this year. Had a couple of rough months where we were a bit nervous about him. But the second half of this year has been absolutely filthy. We'll discuss his stats here in a second. You mix in Wade Davis having the best year of any reliever in all of baseball. And, yeah, Will Myers, we're going to miss him uh, the next four or five years as we search for a power source and a good bat in right field. And, yes, Jake Odorizzi is a nice middle-to-back-end rotation starter. But to get somebody like James Shields who – will potentially go as the first or second highest paid starting pitching free agent this winter, depending on how Max Scherzer finishes things off here. To get him in that trade and a guy like Wade Davis to make games, seven-inning games, eight-inning games, however you want to look at it, depending on if Holland's available or not, and the leadership that he gives to guys like Danny Duffy. You know, Danny Duffy says over and over how much James Shields has meant to him and Ventura, and it rubs off in the clubhouse. And you have must-win games on this trip, the first game of the trip in New York. You win one nothing because of James Shields. Tonight, you had to get a win. There was talk of the Royals folding like a tent. There was talk of the Royals being mentally soft. We even discussed and basically said they choked last night here, and I stand by that the first two games. But James Shields stood up tonight and won 14-7, and a 3-1-3 ERA, a second-half whip of 1.02 for James Shields. 1.02 walks and hits per innings pitch, for those that don't know what that means. I'm sure most of you do here. But 64 hits and 14 walks and 76 and two-thirds in the second half. Unreal, and it's well-publicized by now, but Shields you know, has 18 and a third scoreless innings in a row. Yeah, it's not even impressive on this team. Wade Davis says, I'll call you on that and raise that. 30.2 in a row for Wade Davis. Kelvin Herrera, 29.2, and Shields, 18.1. Scoreless streaks. Those are the third current longest active ones in the AL. James Shields tonight, seven innings, eight Ks, one walk, two hits. Could have definitely gone one more inning had the Royals had another run or two. But with the rain, he struggled a little bit with this control. Struggled. Gave up one walk because of the, his cleats. I say struggle with air quotes around it. Could have gone out one more inning, but, you know, the seventh was his roughest inning, and you've got Herrera and Davis down there who are automatic. And let's start with Herrera. A scoreless inning on 1K, now with an ERA of 1.30, and I was able to ask Luke Hochaver yesterday about Kelvin Herrera. I, I basically told Luke I think Kelvin Herrera is underrated, undervalued, overlooked on this team, and here's what Luke had to say yesterday here in Clubhouse Conversation about Kelvin. You know, he's another unbelievable talent, which, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to say that, a guy that has a 1.4 ERA and throws 100 miles an hour is uh, is kind of overlooked. <laughs> you right. know, that, that, that says a lot for the back end of our bullpen. You know, that means, you know, he's unbelievable. You know, his stuff, I mean, throws 101 miles an hour. And, um, you know, he's got great stuff, great curveball, really good changeup, competes on the mound. Um, I mean, it's 
it's kind of tough to overlook look that guy, but you know, it's it's with with those other two guys, you know, Kelvin's our seventh inning guy, and and then you have Wade and Greg coming in after that. I mean, if we get if we get through six innings of the lead, I mean, you can basically throw an umbrella in your drink and kick your feet up, you know, with those three guys coming in. <laughs> There you have it. That's Luke Hochaver yesterday, who, by the way, threw for the first time today since surgery, which is big for for Hoch. But, you know, Kelvin Herrera, as Luke says, I mean, it's ridiculous how he can be overlooked, but I really believe he is. It's, it's ridiculous how good the back end of this Royals bullpen is. It's just so much fun. And Wade Davis, one, two, three. Waiter, check, please. In the ninth, two Ks for his third save. Now a 0.70 ERA. Now, I get a lot of tweets at Royals Clubhouse. By the way, I'm going to be talking about a question I asked you earlier tonight and giving your opinions here in just a couple minutes here in Clubhouse Conversation. But I've gotten a few tweets tonight asking me if I'm concerned about Greg Holland. You know, it's been a week now since he pitched. Am I concerned? Nah, not, not yet, no. Because it hasn't affected the Royals one way or another. They have not blown a game that they had a save opportunity in since then. There's been some games where they weren't even in it, where he wouldn't have pitched. I mean, and guys haven't been so worn down where they couldn't pitch. I mean, we never had a day where Herrera and Davis weren't available in that time. So, no, I'm not worried because it hasn't affected the Royals one bit to this point. They are going to do a proactive MRI tomorrow to make sure there's nothing serious going on. Now, if, if Holland's not available by, let's say, Sunday, Sunday's my cutoff where I'm officially worried. I, on Sunday, if he's not available, I start getting nervous at something serious and that we may not see him again for a long time. Not a long time. Uh, if he's not back by Sunday, I'm concerned that he may not be ready the last couple of weeks of the season. Let's put it that way. Because at that point, it's been a week and a half, and if there's nothing structurally wrong, you have to wonder what's going on with Greg Holland. So hopefully Holly will be fine. We'd love to have him back as soon as tomorrow. The Royals are now 20-3, and three, their last 23 when they score three or more, which is a nice way to segue into the offense. 20-3, and three, their last 23 when they score three or more. Now, throughout the year, of course, four is the magic number, but you can't argue with 20 of 23 when scoring three or more. And the offense, just good enough tonight. They did have one chance to blow the game wide open, another chance to add a run, or you know, in the case of tonight, it would have been their first run. Top of the third, Alcides Escobar, a leadoff or sorry, a one-out one out single. One-out single by Escobar at the top of the third. He steals second and then goes to third on the throwing error by Alex Avila, but then Noria Oki, after getting ahead in the count 3-0, and by the way, had some horrible strike calls against him all night. I don't know what was going on. If they had an agenda against poor Nori or what, but got ahead in the count 3-0. and BS strike one call to him in my book. Eventually, Nori grounds out to Ian Kinsler at second with the infield drawn, and then he comes home to cut down Escobar. You just can't have this stuff happen. We've been talking about this over and over, how the Royals just are horrible at their situational hitting, especially the last month, well, not month, two and a half, three weeks. How do you not get that run in? Luckily, it didn't end up mattering in the, in the grand scheme, but, man, at the time, Porcello started off striking out, what, four of the first five hitters he saw, and you have a chance to get in a run there in the third with Shields pitching with the rain coming down and with the, with the possibility of a rain-shortened game and you can't get the run in. And then there's the top of the eighth when the Royals – had a walk to Alex Gordon to lead off. Single by Josh Willingham, who we'll talk lots more about later. Single by Eric Cosmer. Bases loaded in the top of the eighth. A chance to just blow the game wide open. It's 2-0, but Salvi lines into a double play in the first pitch. Moose K's. Two golden chances to get a minimum of, I would say, three runs in those situations there between the two. But there were some good things that happened tonight. Some balance was back with the Royals' offense. You, you see with Detroit where they have three hitters, essentially, who carry them. You go through the middle of that order there. You got Cabrera and the Martinez boys, who were 0 for tonight, and they didn't score. 
Royals, meanwhile, don't score a lot, but it's not because they're relying on one or two guys. They need to hit as a team, and they were able to have more balance tonight. As Lorenzo Kane, welcome back. I love seeing those line drives tonight. Look great tonight for Lo Kane. We talked last night about how he had hit Cade and nine of his last 30 at bats coming into tonight. How at times his approach seemed very questionable, and he responds big tonight. Huge for Lorenzo Kane. Three for four with that giant RBI, of course to get that second run in as the rain started. The monsoon, I should say, at that point came down. Two hits apiece for Josh Willingham, Eric Hosmer, and Sal Perez. So you had four guys with multiple hits in the Royals lineup. And huge at-bats from Willingham in particular. He had that 11-pitch at-bat before lining a single up the middle to start the scoring in that two-run top of the fourth. Willingham gets things going. 11-pitch at-bat ending in a single. Now, Josh Willingham, I threw out earlier on Twitter before the game because, once again, Billy Butler not in the lineup. But I said... Good or bad thing? I mean, do you like it? Do you agree with it or no? The Butler's out of the lineup for the second straight day and Willingham's back in there. Michael Yeager, at MYeag7 on Twitter, says, I disagree with benching Butler. Billy hits when Haas doesn't hit in front of him. Hard to hit having to take a pitch or two every at-bat. Not exactly sure what Michael's getting out there, but Michael disagrees. He wants Billy in the lineup. Fair enough. Corey Engelmeyer, a man of many words on Twitter, at C Glim says, no. A very simple answer there. Emily Schaefer, at M. Schaefer. No, Billy has shown that sitting doesn't do that him any good. People back in Billy here. Ryan Bowman, at Ryan Bowman, 1205. I strongly disagree with benching Billy. Billy has to be hitting for us to win, plain and simple. 340 he hits against Porcello. Has to be in. Well, luckily, Willingham got the job done against Porcello tonight with two knocks. But And there's only one guy here out of the five or six that I was able to print off earlier. Steve Krostowski says, yes, Billy Butler's not driving the ball. Willingham can at least get a sack fly if we need it. Fair enough. We have been seeing a lot more ground balls out of Billy. So what do you think, the Butler versus Willingham debate? I mean, obviously, Josh Willingham, just absolute professional bats again tonight. Last night, he had that long at bat again. He's been walking. You know, he, The old fan that doesn't understand advanced baseball stats or even baseball, you know, basic baseball stats. Who doesn't will say, oh, his batting average isn't good. He's getting on base at a 350-plus clip. He gives you the chance to hit home run any at bat, good at bats. Josh Willingham, by my book, needs to be in the lineup three out of four days minimum, probably four out of five days from here on out. You have to have Josh Willingham's bat in this lineup. You give up a lot to get him. He's been pretty good since coming over. I don't care if you have to DH – you know, maybe he splits every other day with Billy. I don't care if you have to put Willingham in right field twice a week. You know, whatever, whatever you got to do. You have to bench Hosmer and put Billy at first some of the time. To me, Willingham and Hosmer are the two guys you got to get in the lineup every day between the, the three of Butler and Willingham and Hosmer. You know, and some of the time, I think Willingham can play right field once or twice a week. Now, he is coming off the back injury. I don't know how he's feeling exactly. I'm not in that clubhouse, and I'm not Nick Kenny, so perhaps he can't play right field. But if he could in a perfect world, I'd like to see him out there once or twice a week. I'd like to see him DHing three or four times a week. He's got to be playing at least four out of five games. Billy's had plenty of chances, well over 500 at-bats this year. He's not getting it done. His OPS is under 700 last I saw a couple days ago, and I don't think he's played since then, so I'm sure it still is. Yes, he helped carry this team for two weeks in August. That's noted. But the fact that the Royals' offense was so bad and struggled so much when Billy was doing nothing and then got so hot when he was just shows you how important he is and how the Royals just can't sit around and let him continue to struggle with 18 or 17.9 games left, however you want to look at it. So in my book, you've got to have 
Josh Willingham out there just about every day. Now, as far as where we're at, where does this put the Royals now as they go back in front? Now, of course, technically they're a game ahead of Detroit. I consider them exactly a half game ahead of Detroit, but the Tigers are off tomorrow. So uh, the Royals, two less games played than Detroit. They have the same amount of wins. Now, one of those games will most likely be a KC loss. They have three outs left down by two at Cleveland. So let's just count that as a loss. The Royals are a half game up. Then tomorrow becomes a pretty important game against Boston. You win, you're exactly up a game on Detroit. You lose and you're tied essentially with Detroit. So you'd like to get that first one tomorrow because Casey needs to go five and two the next seven games. They got four against the Red Sox, three against the White Sox. However you do it, you need to win five of your next seven if you're going to win the AL Central. Don't have to, but you really need to. Four and three, okay. Four and three probably puts you maybe a half game back or a game back going into that Detroit series by my calculations. You still have Detroit head-to-head, so I suppose you don't have to go five and two, but realistically – this is a homestand where the Royals just about have to go 7-3. and three. The Royals go 7-3 and three on this homestand. They're going to win the AL Central. That's my prediction. 6-4, and four, iffy, 5-5, five and five, not looking good. After Detroit gets through Cleveland this weekend, it's not too hard for them from here on out. Get through that, that Cleveland series, all they really have left is KC. You can't count on Detroit losing much more than four or five more games, besides when you play them head-to-head, obviously. So the Royals need to just keep winning. So, uh, uh, tomorrow, Clay Buckholz. The name is obviously sexy and makes you worried. The Royals, though, did get four runs on 10 hints against him after the All-Star break. He's 7-8 and eight with a 5-2-9, not having a good year at all. But as we always talk about, that means nothing with, with this Royals' unpredictable offense. Now, I'm hoping tonight we'll get some guys like Kane, Hot again, and Salvi, and I hope Willingham will now start playing every day. He's got his timing back. So I'm hoping the offense and Hosmer, we saw some better at-bats in this series. Moose, we saw some good at-bats. Moose didn't always have the results in this series, but overall on this trip, I liked his approach better. Better at-bats, taking the ball to left field now sometimes, or you know at least that side of the diamond where they can't cheat as much on him. I saw some good things from the offense tonight. Some horrible things, too, but I think Dyson needs to get back in there. His bat needs to be in the lineup a couple games against Boston. Just not a huge Noriaoki fan at this point. I feel like Dyson and Willingham should be playing right field pretty much from here on out. So Liam Hendricks opposes Buckholes. Who knows what happens tomorrow? Do we get the really good Hendricks that we saw in his first start, or do we get the guy who came out of Yankee Stadium there and struggled? Which one are we going to get? Boston is not a good baseball team. Royals need to come out and win tomorrow. They need to win three out of four in this series. Now, Friday, you've got Ventura against Allen Webster. The Royals have four righties they face, by the way. They don't face a, right, a lefty again until, I believe, John Danks maybe on Monday. So the Royals have had, what, seven, eight games in a row without facing a lefty. But anyway, that's rare. But so Friday, it's a righty Webster against Ventura. Webster been struggling, only has 40 innings, eight starts. So semi-small sample size, three and three with a 6-4-7. You love the Royals' chances on Saturday. So, or sorry, Friday. So Thursday's Buckholes and Hendricks, toss-up game. Friday, Royals have a huge edge. Then you have Ruby De La Rosa against Jeremy Guthrie on Saturday. Toss-up slash leaning Red Sox, maybe. Ruby De La Rosa, the Royals struggle with him. That's why I say maybe. Got just one run off of him in seven innings on July 19th after the break. He's 4-6 and six of the 4-0-1, the talented young right-hander, Ruby De La Rosa. And then Joe Kelly, who came up from St. Louis, obviously, in the middle of the year, versus Vargas to close it out. 3-4 and four at the 4-1-4. We'll talk more about these matchups as we get into the series. But to me, the Royals need three out of four in this series. I'm talking and thinking only about winning the AL Central. And it's possible Detroit tanks, and we're being a little bit too 
hard on the Royals saying they have to win three out of four. But again, they've had a little... Uh, the last homestand was not impressive by the Royals. The 500 homestand was not good. They need to come home in their last homestand, take care of business. They're going to have great crowds this weekend against Boston, great crowds against Detroit. I would think solid crowds against the White Sox. They need to take care of business at home. Got to do it, guys. Three out of four. Let's hope for it. We'll be back again tomorrow night here on Clubhouse Conversation. Hope you're able to check out the full Luke Hochaver interview here on the website. Interviews as well. We published this week with Calvin Pickering. Like I said, we'll be talking to some other guys very soon here on Clubhouse Conversation. Another Jeremy Guthrie appearance, hopefully at some point next week. Mike Kingery, who played for the Royals back in 86, came up with the, with the organization and nearly won a batting title with the Rockies in 94. Had a very interesting career. I'm excited to talk to him. That's coming up soon here on Clubhouse Conversation. So many more. Steve Rinko, who pitched for the Royals in 83, a nice long major league career. So tell a friend about us. We appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, you want to be featured, you want to be on the show, you, you want to talk some baseball, whatever you want, hit me up at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter, here on the website, DaveO at clubhouseconversation.com. Go Royals. Talk to you tomorrow.